welcome back to the Shermcast, the show dedicated to covering entrepreneurship at Northeastern and in the Boston area. It's now October, hooray for spooky season, but this month is also LGBTQ History Month. And fittingly, the first episode of this year is about gender competency and health technology ventures. This episode started out being about women's health ventures, highlighting a current Rev venture. Improper is part of Rev, short for Resources for Engineering Ventures. It's a program at the Sherman Center that provides mentorship and resources to entrepreneurial engineers in the Northeastern ecosystem. Improper, a venture founded by NEU alumni Maddie Rockland and Isabel Arthur, is creating an intravaginal ice pack. I'll let co-founder Rockland tell you more about how it started. Based in personal experience and also talking with friends about their personal experiences, we realized that a lot of People with vaginas experience intravaginal soreness, inflammation, irritation for a variety of reasons, whether it's sexual activity or chronic medical conditions or gynecological procedures. And we realized there really isn't anything satisfactory on the market to address that area of the body. So we decided to create an intravaginal ice pack specifically for those concerns. However, in any discussion about sexual and reproductive health ventures, it soon becomes clear that words like femtech or women's health can't just be thrown around. Quote-unquote femtech is booming, and companies focusing on fertility, menstruation, pregnancy, nursing, and sexual wellness raked in a combined $1.1 billion in funding between 2014 and 2017, according to Forbes. Not everyone likes the term. A simple Google search brings up people pointing out that referring to only reproductive and sexual health as women's health is reductive or complaining about the millennial kink hashtag girl boss aesthetic that pervades much of femtech. However, the biggest issue is that these terms are inherently exclusionary. The way that these terms are often used, they presume the customer is a cisgender woman, as in someone who both identifies as a woman and was assigned female at birth. When we refer to period trackers or birth control as femtech or women's health, we can exclude a lot of trans non-binary and or intersex people who might need these products. We know that not every person who has a vagina is a woman and not every woman has a vagina. And so we just want to make sure that our product is accessible to all people all along the gender binary. And we didn't want to be exclusive or make anyone feel like this product wasn't for them, cause any sort of gender dysphoria or any concern in that regard. So we just, from the ground up, we wanted to make sure that anyone who has the ability to use it feels comfortable and welcome in this space. Improper has taken concrete steps to this end. From the beginning, we've been working with a trans inclusion consultant to figure out the right language, how to talk about traditionally the space is referred to as female health or femtech or women's health. And we want to be inclusive and stay away from um, words centered on gender, so we've stuck to more sexual health, reproductive health, using but with vaginas rather than women. That has been really helpful in making sure that we are getting actual buy-in from a person in the transgender community and not just assuming what it is based on our experiences as cisgendered women. There isn't much academic research available on trans competency and inclusion in health entrepreneurship, but there is some available on inclusion in healthcare. One academic article that seemed particularly applicable to this conversation was The Imperative for Transgender and Gender Non-Binary Inclusion Beyond Women's Health. In it, the authors, quote, aim to make evident that solely referencing cisgender women in the context of sexual and reproductive health excludes a diverse group of transgender and gender non-binary people 
who have sexual and reproductive health needs and experiences that can be similar to, but also unique from those of cisgender women, and includes many recommendations from clinical settings that could also be applied to health ventures. One of the authors was Noah Zazanis. Hi, I'm Noah Zazanis. I'm a master's student in epidemiology at Columbia University. He explains some of the issues with using such gendered wording for reproductive and sexual health for products like apps and ice packs. The main issue would just be that it's not always accurate. So, I mean, most of the patients you see if you're a doctor or people using your app will probably be cisgender, not transgender women, just statistically. However, you know, there are a significant proportion of the population who may have been assigned single at birth and may need certain reproductive health, in this case, period tracking or in a medical setting like family planning services, like OBGYN services, et cetera, who can, you know, on one level be very uncomfortable by using these terms, not want to seek this kind of healthcare, not want to use this kind of app, actually just be unsafe in that kind of setting, maybe harassed by, you know, with, with an app, it's less obvious, you know, it's less a safety issue, but there can still be factors that don't work if someone's biology is different because of hormones, et cetera. So it's just, it's a catch-all term being applied to a situation where it might not be applicable to everybody and in treatment is based on assumptions that might not be true. Exclusion also becomes an issue with how people market certain health ventures. Even in the year 2020, products like period trackers or breast pumps are still likely to be marketed in a way that's very stereotypically and traditionally girly. For long before I was doing this kind of work, just because, you know, I'm on testosterone now, so I don't get periods. But when I did, I still identified as non-binary at the time. And I, for products that were pink and had flowers all over them, and I'm like, I'm fine with pink and flowers, but this is coming with some implications that I'm not really into about the meaning of this, you know, natural bodily process. I actually, I don't know what's on the market right now. I know the product Clue, I used it when it was just being beta tested. And one of the things that really got me excited about it was the fact that it uses, you know, red and blue and talks about menstruation and periods rather than, you know, saying like a woman's special time of the month or something. And obviously that requires a certain level of comfort with your body, but it does avoid using some of the more euphemistic language around feminine hygiene, et cetera, that ends up being very aggressively gendering in a way that not even all cisgender women might find true to them. Going back to the way we name things, one potentially positive element of the usage of words like femtech or women's health is their euphemistic nature. The majority of tech investors are older cishet men, well, older than me anyway, which can make pitching your innovative fertility device or your intravaginal ice pack difficult. Here's Arthur from Improper. Um, and so generally, when you're like networking, trying to find more funding for the venture, how do people react when you explain Improper? <laughs> I think that's a great question. I think a lot of times people are definitely a little confused and taken aback because a lot of the people we speak with are actually men and they can't really envision a reason for the product, how it works, why it's necessary. So it, it really forced us to try and really focus on explaining the product. So I think that's kind of why we try and make it a really holistic description. But once we got through some of those barriers, we definitely were able to get through to um, our audiences to explain the product and the need for it. But it definitely can be difficult, especially when people feel uncomfortable if they aren't used to talking about vaginas, but they don't have vaginas. So that was definitely something that we faced. There might not be a perfect solution. Even saying exactly what you mean can cause its own problems. People get very uncomfortable when you just say, I made an intravaginal ice Right, yeah. No, that makes sense. And I mean, even... You know, even with transmasculine people, people have different feelings about how to 
call your genitals, for example, you know, so some of the, you know, the survey team that I was working with for the Beyond Women's Health commentary, Juno Obidin Malavere, who's one of the, who's the last author on the study, when she talks about this kind of health, she'll often refer to internal examinations, et cetera, which, you know, makes sense in context, but if you're just saying I'm blue, you know, someone might not know exactly what you mean by internal, you know, bodies have a lot of insides, um, but, you know, you can be like, am I supposed to swallow this? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, in terms of pain or, you know, an ice pack, that's, that's a pretty significant issue because pelvic pain is something that commonly happens, for example, to transvasculate people on testosterone and it's just a very common experience for a lot of people for various reasons. And obviously a lot of people are limited in their options if they're uncomfortable using a certain product or in, you know, seeking a certain treatment. It's tricky. Right. I mean, it depends what you're talking about. So, you know, in the case of something related to pregnancy, reproductive health can be appropriate. If you're talking about periods specifically, I guess, I, I didn't really, it depends comfort level. I would probably just say menstrual health, um, but, um, you know, even people have different comfort with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, menstrual translate to monthly. I feel like anything about your monthly health or something would be a little confusing, but in context, you could make it work. Because so much of the, the idea of euphemism feminine hygiene is just like a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge familiarity with the info anyway. So, I mean, on a large scale, I feel like we just need to give people more information about their bodies and feel more comfortable talking in detail about these kind of things. But from the point of view of the corporation, obviously there's some psychological maneuvering you have to do there. However, we do have some models of how to market a health-related product both effectively and inclusively. I do think, you know, the, the app Clue is a very good example of this and one that I, I personally was pretty loyal to when I needed it. Um, I, I promise I'm not being paid any sponsorships or anything. Um, and that it was saying, you know, neutral colors, just using language that people understand, like period, you know, menstruation, et cetera, asking about, you know, are you on any family planning, birth control, you know, are you planning on getting pregnant? But you know, not making assumptions about, for example, oh, everyone must be trying to conceive or everyone must be trying to avoid pregnancy. Just asking and, you know, using the terms people prefer in, or using, you know, somewhat neutral language. In the case of the survey that was included in um, the imperative for transgender and gender expensive inclusion or reproductive health, such a long title, um, they actually, they did some programming in the survey that they used to pipe in language that you use to prefer to talk about your body. So, People would actually write in language. Yeah, I mean, there are ways to make it more neutral and then there are ways to make it more individualized, which obviously technology is really useful for and can do a lot more. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Shermcast. Have a good LGBTQ History Month and make sure to subscribe on Spotify. You can also keep up with The Sherman Center and subscribe to our newsletter at www.northeastern.edu backslash Sherman.